Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy In this episode, we take up Thor, Love and Thunder, because That's What Heroes Do is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. Thor, Love and Thunder is a 2022 movie, and in it, Gore and his daughter Love, the last of their race, struggle in a barren desert. Despite their prayers to their god, Rapu, love dies. The god-killing Necrosword calls to Gore, leading him to Rapu's lush realm. After Rapu cruelly mocks and dismisses Gore's plight, he renounces the god, causing Rapu to strangle him. The Necrosword offers itself to Gore, who kills Rapu with it and vows to kill all gods. Gore is granted the ability to manipulate shadows and produce monsters, but is cursed with impending death and corruption under the sword's influence. After Gore kills several gods, Thor, who has joined the Guardians of the Galaxy, learns of a distress signal from Sif. He parts ways with the team and finds an injured Sif who warns Gore's next target is new Asgard. Meanwhile, Dr. Jane Foster, Thor's ex, has been diagnosed with stage 4 terminal cancer. With medical treatment proving ineffective, she travels to New Asgard, hoping that Thor's hammer, the Mojahir, which was previously fractured by Ayla, or Hela, might heal her. Due to an enchantment, Thor unknowingly placed it on years earlier to protect Foster. It reforges and bonds itself to her. That's Thor's hammer. Thor arrives in New Asgard just as Gore's attack begins. Thor is surprised to find Foster wielding his hammer, but teams up with her, Valkyrie, and Korg to fight Gore. The group thwarts Gore, but but he escapes, killing several, kidnapping several Asgardian children and imprisoning them in the Shadow Realm. The group travel to the omnipotent city to warn the other gods and ask for their help in creating an army. Zeus, the leader of the gods, is unwilling to help, thinking they can remain safe and hidden from Gore in the city. He also believes that Gore will not be able to achieve his stated goal of visiting the realm of eternity, where he will be granted one wish, presumably to destroy all gods. As a security precaution, Zeus orders the group's capture to prevent them from exposing the city's location to Gore. When Zeus injures Korg, Thor impales Zeus with a thunderbolt, which Valkyrie steals before they escape, to confront Gore in the Shadow Realm. On the way, Thor learns 
of Foster's cancer diagnosis, and the two rekindle their relationship. The group arrived at the Shadow Realm but are unable to locate the children. Foster sees the ancient drawings that depict Thor's battle axe Strombreaker as a way to summon Bifrost to enter eternity and deduces the trap laid out by Gore. She throws away Strombreaker, Stormbreaker to prevent Gore from assessing it. However, Gore overpowers the group and threatens to kill Foster, forcing Thor to summon it back. Gore successfully steals Stormbreaker and injures Valkyrie before a weakened Foster collapses. Upon traveling back to New Asgard, Thor discovers that Foster's Thor form is not allowing her body to naturally fight the cancer. Due to this, Thor travels to Eternity's altar alone using Zeus's Thunderbolt and imbues the children with his power to fight Gore's monsters while he battles Gore. When Foster senses that Gore is about to kill Thor, she joins the battle with Thor's hammer to save him. They destroy the necro sword, freeing Gore from its influence, but the three are brought into Eternity's realm. With Gore poised to make his wish, Thor implores Gore to revive his daughter instead of destroying the gods. Thor then leaves Gore to make his decision and attends to Foster, who succumbs to her illness and dies in his arms. Moved by their display, Gore wishes for eternity to revive love, which it grants. As Gore dies from the curse, he requests Thor take care of love. In the aftermath, the children return to New Asgard, where Valkyrie and Sif begin training them, and a monument in honor of Foster is built. Thor adopts love, who joins him in his heroics, with the former singing hammer and the latter wielding Stormbreaker. Next, I discuss the movie with Megan Doherty. Hello, everyone. Well, we are back. Yes, Tom Fox and Megan Doherty for our continued exploration of all things Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome back, Megan. Thank you, Tom. As always, it is a pleasure to be here. So we completed WandaVision. We had a ton of fun doing it, but now we're to some movies. And today Mm -hmm. we're going to take up Megan's personal favorite of all time ever, Thor. But it's Thor Love and Thunder. So Megan, I guess as the Thor aficionado of our (laughs) duo, where did you shake out on Thor Love and Thunder recognizing that Ragnarok may have been one of the greatest movies ever? And the thing is, it would... It's really hard to follow Ragnarok. Like any movie that has to follow that, get it thematically and with the same characters, is going to run into some trouble. The same deal with the end of the Infinity Saga. I think the movies that come out set immediately after that are just at a little bit of a disadvantage because the emotional buildup and release that happened with those movies was so intense. But it was a fun... I had fun with that. I went to see a movie for the first time since the pandemic started in theaters. So that was really fun, getting to go see it alone because my partner will not go to superheroes with me uh, superhero movies with me but yeah i thought it was a treat it was beautiful they talked they got into some really great themes the appearance of a new thor was a lot of fun and uh, there was a little bit of also nice representation i liked that they were getting into other gods and the god universe overall i thought it was a good time without being one of the best movies ever what about you i had a more either difficult or more nuanced relationship with the movie. The first time I saw it. I mean, I'm pleased when it comes to Thor. <laughs> yes. And the first time I saw it, I was a little disappointed. Part of it was, as you said, when you start out the first five seconds of your action movie is the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. 
And that's only the start because it rocked more from there. It's You're right, it's a tough act to follow. But on the second viewing, I really came around to thinking they added a level of subtlety, a level of context, and really a level of, I don't want to say maybe not sophistication, but a way that explained and filled out the Asgardian world very well. And it took, you, you had to listen, you had to watch, and you couldn't just strap in and go along for the ride like we did with Ragnarok. But they're very different movies. And so I really came around on the second viewing to see there was quite a lot here. In fact, more than a ton. And you just touched on that much of it, that tiny little bit. We have to start with Jane. Everybody loves Jane. I love Jane. You love Jane. We all love Jane. Thor loved Jane. I extra love Jane in this movie. (laughs) Why did you extra love Jane? When she got to, at first, I thought she was so extremely relatable. Having such a difficult and challenging diagnosis and seeing that is such a relatable way for someone to deal with it. Trying to laugh it off, trying to have such this brave front, and then secretly trying to use your massive powers of science to, to save yourself in, instead of the world. So I thought it was really relatable. Getting to see her become the mighty Thor with those awesome biceps was just great. Really good superhero stuff. And she was so dorky when she became Thor. I think she was almost channeling a little bit of Ragnarok Thor or new Thor in that sort of dopey himbo style, which is really charming, but still being really sincere. I thought Jane Foster was great and she had some great scenes and some genuinely epic tagline attempts. It was in many ways a love. And we certainly saw, I think, Thor relatable in a human way, if I can even use that phrase that we hadn't seen before. He clearly loves and loved her and loves her to this day. I think it was in Infinity Wars. He saw her from afar, but he didn't get to speak to her. And I found that scene incredibly poignant in Infinity Wars when they go back to try to get the Infinity Stone. But here it was just plain front, right and center, the love affair of the two. And I found it even more poignant, of course, given the diagnosis she received and how she was trying to work through that. But what did you think of the love? I'm generally not a huge fan of romance in movies, often distracting from the excellent explosions. But in this case, I think it was really well earned because it was really balanced for the first time. It had always been immortal godlike creature and normal human scientist and this kind of unbalanced relationship where they're bringing different things to the table. They had a good run, of course, but now they're both gods. And they were coming at each other equally. And this was also, I think, the first time that Thor really respected her agency to make choices, even if they're ones that he wouldn't agree with, like using the Thor powers, even though it made her increasingly ill. He really respected that this was her choice. So I think when they did get back together and express their love, they were doing it as equals. And I really liked that. So let's turn to the bad guy. What a Gore. bad guy. <laughs> a bad guy. And I don't think you got enough screen time. What do you think, think of the explanation of how or why he became a bad guy. Is that good enough? I think, yeah, I think the origin story was great. I think it made perfect sense. And I love that the Necro sword, he almost got it. It reminded me of King Arthur pulling the sword out of the stone, just the way it aimed to him. And it really gave him this mission that seemed quite legitimized by metaphysical forces. And his god was a jerk and probably didn't deserve worship or to rule. No, I thought he was a fantastic villain and just the acting was incredible. His presence was awesome. His fights were awesome. I wish we'd seen a lot more of them though because he's called Gore the God Butcher. But you don't get to see too many God murders and I would have liked to see a little more of that to kind of, I think, increase the terror that everyone else would have been feeling. 
So let me turn to, frankly, a part that I was very disheartened by, which was the gods on Olympia, specifically Zeus. I had never really put the Greek gods in the same pantheon as Thor or other superheroes Mm. from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. At first, I wasn't quite sure what to think. But on second viewing, I thought, well, why, why, why can't Hercules be a superhero? Why can't any of the immortals be superheroes? Maybe they're distant cousins, and that's cool. One's Nordic, one's Greek. That's cool, too. But they really, the Greek gods did come out very well in this. So I, for one, am I mean, a huge Greek god fan. So I was a little disappointed in that. Was my disappointment misplaced or too overwrought? I think historically, they're not great. <laughs> like the, I, I, thought, I thought it was pretty fair play, especially with Zeus. He was not known as a benevolent god by any means. He was not a nice guy. Much more focused on, I think, the pleasure of self. Historically, I'm quite a big fan of the Greek gods as well. But what I really like was the idea of this other echelon of being, of the kind of the divine. And they do hang out and they're not terribly different from humans other than that in their lifespan or their powers. I thought it was pretty, pretty cool and well done. I thought Zeus being an arrogant, irritating showman was, I thought it was well played. I really enjoyed that. There was a couple of brief cameos by two, I think, of our favorite lesser roles in (laughs) this series. Of course, the beloved Darcy that we saw quite a bit in WandaVision. But also we saw Idris Elba as Heimdall make an appearance, even though he's allegedly dead in one other, in, I guess, in Infinity boy. How, Say again? I just said, oh boy, I was so excited. Because that was like, that was the second post credit stinger, which I wasn't right. even expecting. And so one, Valhalla is real. The characters we know and love in there. And are they going to do a Valhalla movie? Because I really want them to do a Valhalla movie with all of the dead characters, please. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be pretty cool. But, and even the professor was in as well. All great little minor cameos, if I guess that's the right word, for some of the actors that we do enjoy so much. Any other maybe Easter eggs that you enjoyed? Oh, there, there were a bunch of them. And I'd also like to get your opinion on the army of baby Thors in one of the final fight scenes. Maybe we can start there because, you know, when they are having the final battle with Gore, the God Butcher, and there's all these kids who have been kidnapped and they've been really brave and it's been great and they are all given temporarily the power of Thor. What did you think of that kind of as a plot device, as an action scene, as a parent? Once again, my really opinion of all of the baby Thors evolved because the first time around I was, I thought it was a little bit silly, but the second time around I thought even Thor was a child once and all of these gods that we're talking about Olympus were children once and the baby Jedi came, the children's game, Jedi's came from children. So why can't you have that as well? And the way they were able to take, as I think you said, agency of their own destinies, I became pretty impressed with second viewing. Very cool. Very cool. In terms of little things I liked, pretty much every scene that Valkyrie was in was great. Let's talk about Valkyrie <laughs> a little bit. because Please. You know, yeah. So we saw her in Infinity War, saw her in Ragnarok. We saw a little bit of her origin th- story in Ragnarok, and she really pulled herself up from the depths. And what do you think of her as a character? Let's, let's visit uh, her. I really like her, and not just because I think she's, other than Loki, maybe one of the first canonically queer EU characters. That on Olympus, the little hand kiss with the handmaiden, be still my heart. That just about ended me right there. Ex- 
excellent. <laughs> but I thought she was hilarious. I love that she had taken on the, the role of king and is king of Asgard and has done a phenomenal job. It's now a major tourist destination. I'm probably making money <laughs> hand over fist at Infinity Cones. The ice cream star. Brilliant. Also, she wants to get back to her roots of being a legendary warrior on a winged horse. I love the relationship she had with Jane, how they were friends and talking each other up and just enjoying each other's company. She didn't bat an eye at mighty the mighty Thor, becoming the mighty mm -hmm. Thor. I thought she was marvelous. And she had no problem also at the end being like, hey, now you guys have to go finish the thing and I'm going to stay here and do the things that I have to do because she is a responsible ruler. One of the great characters in the MCU, in my opinion. Did, when Thor made her king or queen or the head or leader of Asgard, did he, was that because he knew she was a superhero or, or did he see in her that ability of for growth beyond just being a great warrior to be a truly a leader of her people? Yeah, I think he saw a lot of qualities in Valkyrie that he probably wishes he had. Really good organization, a really good executory power to be able to conceive things and then get them done. I think Thor has always been a little more reactive. And that's who he is, reacting to things that are going on. But he's not an administrator. <laughs> and I think him <laughs> not an administrator. <laughs> we have now hit the all-time high in our entire MCU series. Thor, not an administrator. But towns need to be administered. <laughs> we have to like... change the name of this podcast series. But he's a great leader and had been, I think, a leader, or at least a warrior before, knew how these things were to be run. So I think it was great that she was made king and that Thor recognized, hey, he's got to go off and kind of deal with some of his stuff because <laughs> he had a lot right. of stuff to deal with. And I also wish we'd gotten to see a little more of him hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy because that was fun. The montage at the beginning was charming, I thought very on brand. But right. he wasn't the one to stay at home on Earth with the day-to-day -day management of a mini kingdom. Well, yeah, I thought that was same story with the Guardians, he never stays anywhere long. It's true. And as much as I enjoyed his time with the Guardians, and it certainly could portend some great adventures and interpersonal dynamics between all of them, I just don't think he's going to stick around. He, he keeps moving. I think he's going to stick around with love. <laughs> I think, what a lovely end, becoming Uncle Thor. And he would make I a great uncle. He's a great uncle. I think, I think he's going to do a really good job parenting a child with laser eyes. How cool would that be to go, yeah, Uncle's Thor? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, that would seem like a great way for us to end this episode. <laughs> We've got a couple up next that are tangentially related. So I hope our listeners will join us for our next couple of episodes where we look at Spider-Man coming home and then Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Okay. I'm Tom Fox. And join I'm Megan Dorton. Can't wait to see you next time. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Because That's What Heroes Do. I hope you'll join Meg and I again next week as we take up Spider-Man. The award-winning Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will check out some of the other podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We've got a wide variety. If you enjoy movies, you can uh, check out Popcorn and Compliance, where with uh, my prior host, Jay Rosen, and my current host, Richard Lummis, we take a look at the intersection of movies and compliance. I know you'll enjoy Popcorn and Compliance.